We're going to read from God's Word now from 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1. We're reading verses 3 down to uh, verse 12. Uh, we started last Sunday by looking at the first couple of verses. This is our new sermon series going through uh, the letter of 1 Peter. And this morning we're thinking about um, having a living hope and what that means for God's people. So we'll read from God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 down to verse 12. Let's listen to God's word together this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And this morning we're going to spend our, our, our time together looking at uh, verses 3 down to verse 5. Um, but let's pray again before we do that. Gracious Lord, we thank you once again that we're found in your house this morning, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is God-breathed. We thank you for the, the truth that it is. Father, we thank you that it is like you. It never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, we, we love just to, to read your word and to sit under it, Father. We pray this morning as we do that, that you would give us eyes to see you, ears to hear, Lord, minds to understand, hearts that are open and receptive to what you're doing, Lord. Father, would you, even this morning, call out the seeds that you've already planted in our hearts and lives, maybe a long, long time ago. May this be the day where they grow into fruition. Father, we thank you that he who begins a good work will see it through to completion. And Father, we, we once again just bring before you this precious family that have gathered here this morning. And again, we ask heaven's blessing to be upon them. Lord, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your goodness towards us. So, Lord, as we study your word now, Lord, would anything that is said and done, Lord, would it be said and done to your glory, your honor, and your praise? For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Like I said, we're going to 
just concentrate on the first kind of um, few verses this morning, three down to um, verse five. And we're going to think about this living hope that we have as, as God's people. Just in case you weren't here last week, or, or, or maybe you can't remember last Sunday, I can't really remember what happened yesterday, never mind last Sunday, but last week we, we spent our time looking at two main themes that, that are really important for this letter in First Peter, uh, and, and they're the, the, the two main themes that Peter uses to introduce this letter that he's writing to uh, a group of people that are spread across a wide area. Uh, and the first one is that they're exiles, that they are in a place that they do not belong, that they have been driven there and they find themselves in a place that they don't know as, as home uh, and they're going through difficult times. But they need to remember that in the midst of all of this, that they have been chosen by God, that they've been elect, that God has chosen them and that should be something that should hold, they should hold on to, knowing that God has a plan for them in the midst of everything that they're going through, that this is God's plan. And we looked into the origin of their election. We looked into the origin of their chosenness by God. That it wasn't in any goodness of themselves. It's the same for us as God's elect. That it's not, um, it's not in any goodness that we ourselves possess. But it was founded in the foreknowledge of the Father. And the outworking of it or how it becomes a reality is through the sanctification, the activity and the work of the Holy Spirit and in individuals' lives. And then we saw the purpose of the election, which was for unto obedience unto um, uh, Jesus Christ, so that they would um, basically be abiding, living in a relationship with Jesus. So it was founded, and its origin is, is, is in accordance with the foreknowledge of the Father. It is outworked through the activity and the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's whole purpose is so that they would be in relationship with Christ. And then in verse 3 this morning where we see um, Peter begin in what some people would kind of call a hymn um, where he, he says, blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And again, we see another outworking here of what Peter has just said in his introduction, where again he points to the activity and the initiative of God in the work of salvation. That it's God who has caused us to be born again. And this is so linked to what we looked at last week about their chosenness or their, um, them being elect, God's activity at work within the gift of salvation. Peter says it's God who has caused us to be born again. And for this, he should be praised. Blessed be the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've already probably forgotten if your, your mind's anything like, like I am, um, like mine, it's a bit like a sieve, um, and I need to be reminded constantly of things. Um, and, and we've probably already forgotten that these people that he's writing to, the original, the original audience, that, that they are going through really difficult times. They are being persecuted for their faith. And isn't it funny that Peter doesn't begin by saying, you know, I know things are really hard, guys. You're doing a great job. You know, keep it up. Keep it going. He begins by saying, blessed be God. Praise be unto God. Praise him. 
even in the midst of your difficulties, even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of your hardship, even while you're being persecuted for your faith. Praise God. Mountain high or valley low, God is worthy to be praised. And I was thinking about this um, this week when I was preparing about Psalm 121, where it says, I, I to the hills will lift my eyes. We can only lift our eyes to the hills when we're in the valley. It's hard to do that when you're on the mountaintops. It's when we're in the valleys. Lift your eyes to God. Turn your gaze and affection towards him. And really what the, the principle that we need to draw out here is that we can't and we shouldn't let our worship be circumstantial. We cannot let what we're going through or how we're feeling influence how we respond to God. We cannot let it be the driving force or factor. We cannot let it impact the worship we bring to God. Even when life sucks, and life sucks a lot of the time, it's really difficult. There's things that we go through and, and it's hard and there's hardship after hardship. We've been through a very difficult last couple of years. Even in the midst of that, the word of God still says, praise the Lord. Do not let your circumstances dictate how you respond to God. As God's people, and this is Peter's opening point, as God's people, we can always praise him. There's always something that we can praise the Lord for. And maybe the biggest thing is one thing that will never be taken away. The new spiritual life that he has given us. We can bless God as his people because our future is secured and certain. We have new life as God's people within us. So why is God to be praised for the new birth he gives us in his mercy? Now, we see here in verse 3, it, what precedes mercy, there's a couple of words, but one of the ones I want to look at just very briefly because we've already seen it is this word, according according to his great mercy. This is only the beginning of the third verse. Already that word has been used twice in Peter's opening remarks. He used it, uh, we looked at it last week, where in verse 2, where he talks about according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And we see here it's according to his great mercy. God's foreknowledge was not founded on any merit belonging to me or to you. It is his great mercy and it's in his great mercy that he gives us new life. We thought about that last week when we think we thought about in love he predestined us. It's not because we were lovely. It's because he is love. And we love him only because he first loved us. In God's foreknowledge and in his mercy, they have caused us to be born again unto a living hope, his word says. Now, Peter goes a wee bit biological here. And although in our translation in the English, the English language is actually really limited when it tries to translate a lot of what the Greek tries to put across. What he's, when he's speaking here about being born again, um, although within the Greek there is that emphasis of, of new birth, there's actually a slightly different angle that, that Peter is really emphasizing here. And what he is really emphasizing is not that, you know, that, that moment when somebody is, is born, 
But really what he's trying to emphasize and draw out is the begetting process. That moment in conception when a seed is planted. I know that's very graphic for a Sunday morning, but that's really kind of what the point he is drawing here. Is the begetting process that a seed has been planted in God's great mercy that has caused us then to be born again. And we see him use the same kind of language in verse 23 of chapter 1, where it says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. The begetting process is vital in any, in, in any birth, in any moment of conception. And, and it's the same, that, that's true in the natural, but it's also true spiritually that there's a seed that's planted in our hearts. And that's what Peter is showing us here. And it's through God's word that a seed is planted into the life of someone. And then what we see, and we, we, we thought about this last week and we'll see it over the next few weeks, what we see is the sanctification of the Holy Spirit that brings the seed into life. So what this means is that God causes new life to happen spiritually by his word. He plants a seed in our hearts. Just as Ezekiel saw the army of dry bones um, come back to life, we see that important dual aspect of, of the word of God and the breath of God, the spirit of God at work. And Peter is drawing the same allusions here. When we come to new life, when we're born again in Christ, it is through the imperishable seed of God's word and through the activity of the Holy Spirit in a repentant sinner's heart. And this hope is a living hope, he says. That's what we've been born again to, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead this hope is only possible and this hope is only living because our savior is alive if he wasn't alive it wouldn't be a living hope but because jesus has been risen from the dead physically not just metaphorically or in some nice spiritual sense but because jesus has physically been risen from the dead we have a living hope. And again, remember, friends, they are going through a really difficult time that when Peter's writing to them, they're going through persecution and trials and hardship. And this theme of hope is a really important and a key theme throughout this letter because they were going through so much suffering. So Peter then goes on and he explains the object of our living hope. He goes on and he explains and gives um, in more fuller detail what this living hope is. He says in verse 4, it's an inheritance. Born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable. There's that word imperishable again. We saw it with, with God's word in verse 23 a few moments ago. And again, we see that word here. Our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
one thing that Peter is doing here through language of, of birth or being born anew or born again or that kind of begetting process. And then we see this word inheritance. One thing that he's trying to show us is the family. He's stressing family in his opening verses. That as God's people, if you've been born again in Christ through God's mercy and through the work of God, you are now part of a family, he is saying. You have been adopted into the family of God. We thought about that for a few moments when we were with Beth and Alexander a wee while ago. They've been engrafted into God's family. And you now have a father in heaven. If you're in Christ, you now have a father, you have a heavenly father who has an inheritance that belongs to you as his child. Isn't it wonderful to think that our Father is the God of all glory, the one who has created all things, sustains all things, and he has an inheritance waiting for us. I can't wait to see with my own eyes that future heavenly inheritance. And often in the New Testament, we, 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 we see this language of inheritance being used because of that important doctrine of theology that we've been adopted into God's family. We've been engrafted into his family through faith and by faith alone. I said last week that, that Peter throughout his letter there'll be lots of times where we see him refer and allude to the Old Testament. And, and this is one of the ones where we see him do that already where he draws on an Old Testament principle to show a benefit of salvation. The Old Testament often used language um, like inheritance in relation to the promised land. Remember when God spoke to Abraham and he said, you know, I'm going to give you a land, land flowing with milk and honey. And we see that promise uh, grow and we see it in more fullness as we journey with Abraham and, and then on to uh, uh, them leaving um, uh, Egypt and the Exodus as God's people towards this inheritance that God had given towards this promised land. And when it's speaking about the inheritance in the Old Testament, often it's referring to this physical um, inheritance which would be Canaan, the, the, the land that God had physically given to his people. And it's why we see so many hymn writers um, mention the, uh, Canaan, uh, Canaan in, their, in their hymns. Land me safe on Canaan side, bread of heaven, bread of heaven. It's speaking about this inheritance that we saw uh, physically in the Old Testament, but then in Christ we see the spiritual promise that God is preparing for us for a, for a future inheritance that we will get through him. And, and what is important to remember that God is preparing a place for us just as he was preparing a place for his people in the Old Testament in a physical sense, he is preparing a place for us also in a, in a, in a, in a, physical, in a physical sense where, God, where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for those and he'll come back for us to take us to be with him. But for us just now, though, it's more like a spiritual promise that we have that we will one day enter into in a physical reality. And what's really important with regards to this living hope is that we need to remember that Christ is physically alive. He has been risen from the dead. 
But this reference to, to Canaan, we begin to leave the plains of Palestine and our attention is now in Christ being drawn towards something new that he's preparing for his people. And I think it's beautifully summed up by the children's chorus. Many of us will have sang if we went to Sunday school as we boys and girls, I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. I've got a home in glory land. I've got an inheritance in Christ that God is preparing for me. It's my home. It's my destination. Although I'm an exile here in this land, although I'm just passing through, I ultimately have a home when I'm going to that's in glory land and it far outshines the sun. And this would have been so encouraging for Peter's original audience. Remember, they're going through hardships, they're going through persecution, and they're in a place where they do not belong because of the dispersion. They are exiles. They are found in a place that is not their own. But Peter is saying to them, according to God's great mercy, you've been born again. And no matter what you go through, you have a living hope. That you will obtain one day an eternal city of God where all the blessings of heaven will be theirs, will be yours if you're in Christ, through Christ. And this inheritance can be yours. It can be yours this morning. Maybe you're thinking, I wonder what inheritance I'm going to get from my, my earthly mum and dad this morning as you're sitting there. I wonder how much money they've got prepared and saved away from me in a bank account. Well, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know what God has in store for you this morning if you put hope and trust in him. There's an inheritance waiting for you. And it far, is far better than any worldly or earthly possession and inheritance we can ever receive. And this can be yours. This can be your inheritance if you're born again. For any of us who are born again this morning, we're adopted as children of God. And this inheritance belongs to God's children and God's children alone. Those whom he's called to himself. And we can only be a child of God if we come to him in repentance of our sins and asking him for forgiveness. And then... Peter goes on and he, he, he describes what this inheritance, what this living hope is like. This inheritance, he says, is imperishable. This inheritance that is ours through Christ, friends, it is a wonderful inheritance. It will never perish. It is imperishable. How can it never perish? Well, because of who our living hope and our inheritance is founded in and on God and God himself. Romans tells us that God is imperishable. 1 Corinthians tells us that our resurrection bodies, just, because, just as Jesus Christ was physically risen, there's a day when then those who are in Christ will be raised from the dead and we will be given, uh, be given resurrection bodies. And these resurrection bodies, 1 Corinthians tells us, are incorruptible. That's why Revelation tells us there'll be no more sadness and, and no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness, no more illness, no more disease. Because our resurrection bodies will be incorruptible. Because our living hope, our inheritance, it is imperishable. If you're in Christ this morning and you're in pain physically, hold on to that hope that there's a day coming when you receive your resurrection body that will never be corrupted again. Because your inheritance is imperishable. And it will not 
be destroyed by anything. We're going to go and think about that for a few moments in a minute. But that's why Jesus, in, his, in the Gospels, why he says, you know, be careful where you store up your treasures. The things of this world, they will get destroyed by rust or, or moth or, or be stolen or taken away or whatever. That, that's what happens to things in this world. They will perish. They do not last. So many of us, so, even so many Christians, we are controlled by earthly possessions that need and desire just for a few more pennies to be in the bank account. Just one more cup, one more car, or, or one more bottle of this, or one more nice wee ornament to go with my set, or, or one more um, thing, what you put in your thumb, when you're, or your teaspoons that you're collecting when you're on holiday. These things that we store up, that they'll rust and they'll fall apart, and, and they, they do not have any lasting significance. But we have an inheritance, and that's why Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven. For they will be undefiled. Our inheritance is undefiled. We live in a world where things spoil. Doesn't matter how well you look after them or, or how often you polish that car. There's a day coming when maybe you won't be able to polish that car anymore. Or the polish will run out or something will happen. The rust will seep in because it's, it's only of this world. But our inheritance will never be undefiled. How? How will it never spoil? That's what this word means. Our inheritance will never spoil. Why? Because our living hope is not tainted by sin. Beautifully, the writer of Hebrews uses the same word that we have here for undefiled in, 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 his, um, in his chapter in the Bible in, of Hebrews, where we read in chapter 7, where he uses the same word to denote Jesus' sinlessness. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. That high priest is Christ himself. Such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Our inheritance is it's unstained. It has not been contaminated by sin. And often in the Old Testament, if something was unfit to come near to God, it was described as being defiled. So what Peter is doing here by using this language of undefiled, it's ceremonial language from Leviticus, what he's showing us is that this inheritance, this living hope that we have, that is, it is pleasing before God. It is approved by God. And it will never lose its beauty because it hasn't been affected by sin. It's undefiled. And because of that, it is also unfading. When my gran passed away a couple of years ago, um, we were going through um, stuff with my grandpa, uh, you know, things that he wanted to keep and things he wanted to throw away. And we came across this, this photo, um, this lovely picture that my, my gran had given to my grandpa when they got engaged at the age of about 16 or 17. Now, my grandpa and gran were in their 80s when they passed away a couple of years ago. Um, so it was quite an old photograph. It was in black and white, and it wasn't a filter. I asked them. It was the real thing, the real McCoy. It was a real black and white photo. And she sent it to him because he was going off for his national service. Just after they got engaged, he was called away to go and serve his national service. So she gave him this beautiful photograph that was really lovely. It was, it was really picturesque, and um, she looked lovely, and it was stunning. But over time, though, it began to fade. 
the beauty of it. It, it wasn't the same. And, and he was saying, I would love if, I, if I'd thought of being able to, rest, in a way, to be able to restore this photo to how I originally remember it. And, and through, you know, touch, the corners had begun to kind of turn up. After being carted around Cyprus in my grandpa's Bible, you know, there was, there was a bit of weight and tear on it. It had started to fade from being in the sun and being in the light. It had begun to pick up many blemishes. And that's what happens to the things that are off this world. Through time, they pick up blemishes, they pick up stains to pick up things that are wrong with him <laughs> I, i'm only turning 30 soon and i already feel my knees are going do you know as, as time goes on our bodies they begin to to to, to fail us do you know we begin to fade away but our inheritance that is in christ which is a living hope it is unfading it is beautiful it will never perish it is eternal. We go from glory to glory. And just as we thought, I've got a home in glory land. And what does the hymn writer say? That outshines the sun. It will not fade. Your home in glory land, it will never fade away. It is brighter than the sun. It will outshine the sun through brightness and through endurance. That is the inheritance for God's people. And it's kept in heaven for you. We're nearly finished, guys. Um, it's kept in heaven for you. And I love this, that, that as Peter begins to draw his thoughts on this inheritance to a conclusion, he shows us that, that this isn't just being put in a corner, you know, and being forgotten about, but God has guarded it. He's, he's secured it. It's been kept uh, safe for you. It's been reserved for those who are in Christ. And this word kept um, is in the Greek. It's in the perfect passive participle. And what that indicates in Greek is a completed past activity with results that are still ongoing. So what does that mean? It's been secured by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ through his death and through his resurrection but its outworking is still ongoing. It's still there for you. And it's been kept for you as God's children. You have no need to be afraid of it ever being lost. And, and notice what he says. He's been using the word uh, us to relate to his audience. But here he says it's been kept for you. He changes how he's addressing them. Purposely to show and to highlight that our God is personal. He cares about you. And what this means is not only is, is it a beautiful inheritance, but this living hope is more secure than anything in this world. Beloved of Christ, rest assured, your Savior has secured something for you. He's gone to prepare a place for you. And he'll come back for you. This living hope, it is our inheritance which will never perish, never lose its beauty, will never fade away, and it's been held secure for you. And just as we draw our thoughts together to a close, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded. And no longer is he speaking about the inheritance, but he's speaking again to his audience. He's speaking to the beloved of Christ. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only is your inheritance being guarded. But you 
are being guarded by God's power through faith. He holds you. He protects you. He guards you. He sustains you. He carries you until you enter all he has for you, reserved for you on the last day. So not only is it our inheritance that is being kept, friends, through faith, we too are being kept. We are being guarded. So, beloved of Christ, you're being guarded by God's power through faith until you enter into the fulfillment of your salvation. That living hope which is your inheritance, which God is keeping for you, it is truly a thing most wonderful. Is it any wonder why Peter begins by saying, Blessed be God. Praise be God for all he has done.